that worship was just so lovely. And I don't know about you, but just towards the end there, I could just, it felt like the Holy Spirit was just hanging like a mist. And I could almost picture myself just being just out in the fields, you know, when you get those early mornings and you just get the mist that's just hanging there. And it's just, it just feels so magical. And that's just what it felt like. And, you know, this, this evening, um, the topic I was given to talk about was a place of restoration. And you could just sense that that was what the Spirit was doing just now. It was just touching. He was touching hearts and just bringing that sense of, of restoration. Um, I loved that title, A Place of Restoration. And um, throughout this evening, I just want to, to touch on, you know, what is a place of restoration? What is restoration? Where does it happen? And almost like, you know, who does it happen to? And then what do we do with it? What are the implications of living as a, a restored people? And it's been very much our journey, um, that, that journey of restoration. And so I'm going to refer to some people from the Bible who um, encountered Jesus and were restored. But I also want to weave in part of my own story of restoration. And just to give you a little bit of a heads up, so for those of you who don't know, um, I have recently just had a hip replaced. So thank you so much to those of you who have prayed me through that, that journey. Um, so that's kind of also just how God's been speaking to me about what restoration is. Um, so I will be referring to that as well as we go along. So a place of restoration, finding your place and playing your part. Um, I just want to read from Matthew 11. Now, I'm going to be reading it from the message, um, which is the, the paraphrased version of, of this section that I'm reading from. And it's just because it, it just said it so well. Um, so Matthew 11, um, first of all, from verse 4, it says... Jesus told them, so this is John's disciples, they've just come and they've you know, basically said, are you the one that we're expecting or should we be looking for somebody else? So Jesus says to them, go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. And you think, what is restoration? That is restoration. And the, the definition, I love looking up definitions. And it says the, the definition of restoration is the action of returning something to its former owner, place, or condition. And I thought, I love that. I love that God finds us. Jesus finds us. He finds this kind of living in our own mess and our own sin of our own doing, he finds us in that place and he restores us back to the one who made us in the first place. He restores us back to the one who, who loves us. Jesus takes us from our old way of life. 
He takes us from living the lie that we've learned to believe that we're out there on our own. It's all down to us. We have to make it work. We have to try harder. And he restores us to our rightful owner. He finds us broken, bashed, bruised, and he lovingly begins the work of restoration. And then just further on in that chapter, so it's from um, verses 25 onwards, it says, and then abruptly Jesus broke into prayer, thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls, but you've spelled them out clearly to ordinary people. That's us. Ordinary people. Yes, Father, that's the way you like to work. And then Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. And he said, the Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of father and son's intimacy and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Yeah, that is the heart of God. That's the heart of the restorer, is that he goes after anyone that's willing to listen. And then Jesus said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now that's an offer I couldn't refuse. And when Jesus begins his work of restoration, something amazing and beautiful begins to happen. He rescues us, as I've said. He finds us weary and worn out, broken and disheartened. And then he restores us into grace upon grace. He restores that father-child intimacy. He brings us back into working order. You know, he said, watch how I do it. Learn from me. Come and walk with me and work with me. You know, he doesn't just sort of say, well, come to me and it's just rest. You're just going to lie down and do nothing. It's, no, you're going to work with me. But it's in that unforced rhythm of grace. And he, our dreams are restored and our hopes are reignited. So then, where is this place of restoration? And this is what I particularly loved just thinking about when I was thinking about, well, where is that then? Where does this restoration happen? 
Is it a place? You know, it's not just one place. It's not just on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening when you have that ministry time that restoration takes place. It's not just then. It is then. It can be then. But it's not only then. It's not just during the sung worship time or at a conference when you go away and you have that amazing time. It is then, but it's not only then. Places of restoration can be anywhere. Anywhere, that is, where Jesus is. Where the one who fully restores us is. That's where you'll find a place of restoration. You know, the Samaritan's woman, um, the Samaritan woman's place of restoration was at the well. You know, she'd gone there in the heat of the day to get away from the, the prying eyes and the gossip of what was going on around her because she was living a life that wasn't right. And she was deeply, deeply hurting. And so she goes to the well where she thinks, I can go there and I'll be on my own. And Jesus is there. And he met with her in that everyday place where she went to get her water. And he spoke truth into the depths of her heart. And at that moment, restoration began. Simon Peter on the beach. He's battling with guilt and shame. He's denied and he's abandoned his friend. He denied Jesus three times. He said, I don't know him. Having just previously said, I'll never leave you. I'll always be there, Jesus. I'm always going to be there. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to deny you. Three times. Can you imagine the guilt and the shame that he would have been feeling? And Jesus is there on the beach. And Peter steps out of the boat. And then they have that probably might have been a little bit of an awkward breakfast. But then Jesus has that time with Peter and he restores him and they walk together. And three times Jesus says to him, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? And at that moment, a story of restoration began for him. Mary Magdalene, her place of restoration, one of them, outside the tomb, in deep, deep grief. You know, Jesus has been, he's been buried. And then she goes to the tomb, and he's not there. And she has that agonizing grief. Where is he? And she turns and sees who she thinks is the gardener and says, where have you put him? And then Jesus reveals himself to her. And restoration, her heart begins to be restored. She is taken out of that place of deep grief and hope returns to her. The woman that was caught in adultery, 
in John 8 that we read about, her place of restoration was in the midst of her accusers. She's caught in the sin, in the very act of adultery, and she's dragged out in front of everybody. And they're about to stone her to death. And Jesus is there. And her moment of restoration begins when one by one, they drop their stones because they know themselves they're not sinless. They cannot throw the first stone. And Jesus begins an amazing work of restoration in her life. The prodigal son, his place of restoration was in the arms of his father, that father who he had turned his back on and said, give me my inheritance now. I want to go and do what I want to do. I want your money, and I want to go and make my own life. And so off he goes. Makes a pig's ear of it, pardon the pun. And on that way back, he meets the father when he's full of shame and remorse and guilt over what he's done. And the father meets with him and throws his arms around him and welcomes home his son. And it's a beautiful story of restoration. And then my last person I just want to draw on is Saul. He's on that road to Damascus, Damascus with murderous intentions in his heart. He hates the followers of the way. And Jesus himself meets with him. And so begins a journey of restoration. You know, restoration can and often is a journey. It's a process. It's a work of art, lovingly restored by the master craftsman himself. And just at this place, I just want to share a little bit about my story of restoration. You know, I was, um, a few years ago, I was living in a place of, with such disappointment I carried in my heart over various things. I felt so weary with life and sadness and pain. Things hadn't gone as I had anticipated they would. And it felt for me like there were so many doors that were closing in my life and none were opening. And I felt like I just didn't belong anywhere. And this wasn't things that people had done to me. This was what I was allowing myself to believe. And I felt like I was kind of living in a no man's land. You know, I couldn't go back and I couldn't go forward. And I was just kind of there. Just felt like I was waiting for something to happen. But yet as nothing was happening, hope was dying inside of me. My mindset was encouraging me to believe the lie that God had actually forgotten me. He no longer saw my heart. He no longer saw my dreams. And he no longer saw my hopes. And therefore, I concluded they were probably all wrong. And they were just things that I had made up. And therefore, probably I should just forget. And so I just buried them. Now, for someone 
who loves an adventure and loves to live in a big story, it wasn't a good place to be. And I needed restoring. And my meeting place of restoration was out in the fields on a run. And I remember it was in 2020, and I was out at Tunworth, and I was just running in the fields, and I was just crying out to God, saying, what are you doing? Where are you? I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like so many things have almost happened, and then they don't. And then I'm back to where I was. And things were sort of changing around me but not in the way that I wanted them to. And I could see other people going off and doing amazing things and thinking, but I'm still here. God, where are you? What about me? What can I do? And I just felt God whisper to me, I want you to look at your dreams. Where are they? What have you done with them? Where are the things you hoped for? What have you done with them? Who said you could bury them? Who said you could give up on them? And then he just began to say to me, what I want you to do is I want you to pick them up and I want you to put them on the altar. Those are things that I've put in your heart. Those are dreams that I have given you but you need to put them on the altar. You need to give them back to me and trust me with them. So I had to come to confront my unbelief and my disappointments head on. And I had to take them back and I had to place them on the altar of God and I had to leave them there. I think so often we can say, okay, God, I'm going to give you this and then we take it back again. And then we wonder why nothing's happening with it. And I had to learn to give those dreams back to God and to leave them and to say, wherever you want me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it. However it looks. Even if it doesn't look like what I'm expecting it to look like, I will say yes to you, and I will go in the way that you want me to go. But that place of restoration, it didn't lead to an immediate change of circumstances. But I knew I had begun on a journey, and it was a significant time. And I'd just ask you now, is there an area in your heart in your mind, in your soul that you need restoring? Are there things that the Holy Spirit is maybe nudging you on now? Or maybe you hear that whisper of God saying, what have you done with that? What have you done with those dreams I gave you? Where have you put them? So often our restorer meets us in our everyday places in those places where he has our attention and he invites us into healing and restoration. 
I love the verse in Psalm 23, very close to my heart, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside quiet waters. And there he restores my soul. The message says, you've bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and you send me in the right direction. Now, when I had that place of meeting with God out in that run, he then gave me time to catch my breath as I then journeyed on with him. So when, when God restores us, there are implications. You know, he's, as I said before, when he sort of gives us that rest, it's not a rest and then you do nothing. He restores us for a purpose. Restoration changes how we live. We exchange our brokenness for his wholeness. We give our sin, our grief, our shame, and our broken relationships. Now, those are things that all so, they just so affect how we live our lives. They affect how we think about ourselves. They affect how we think about other people. And they affect how we respond to God. Decisions we make, attitudes we have, and what we believe about ourselves. But when we confront and acknowledge our brokenness and our sin, Jesus sets us free. And he came that we would have life and that we would be set free. We see the effect that that restoration had on Simon Peter. You know, when he had that moment with Jesus, when they walked together on the beach and Jesus said, do you love me? And you look at how he then went on and especially once the Holy Spirit had been sent and he was filled with power from the Holy Spirit, how different his life was. The restored Peter was incredibly different from the Peter that denied Jesus. His occupation changed from being a fisherman to being an evangelist and a pastor. You know, when Jesus died and he was so filled with remorse, he went back to fishing. Jesus had called him out. Jesus had said to him already, come and follow me, Peter. And Peter was like, great, I'm coming. But then he went back to it. So once Jesus had restored him, he went back. He gave up his fishing. His identity changed from being impetuous to being a rock and being steady. He proved his love for Jesus by how he lived his life. And the same can be said of Saul. His name then was changed to Paul. And he begins a new life. 
No longer is he hunting down followers of the way, wanting to silence them forever. But instead, he's, he's leading and he's caring and he's discipling followers of Jesus. And then we get these amazing letters that he writes and these words that we, we so take to heart and put into practice in our lives. What a restoration. What a restored man. What did the, what did the Samaritan woman do? But she, she runs to tell people of the man who told her everything she'd ever done. Now, I would love to have known what conversation took place. We only get that little snippet. But Jesus had obviously confronted everything and restored her, and she's, she can't help but tell everybody. You know, when we live as restored people, we should be longing to tell people what Jesus has done in our lives and how he has changed us and set us free. And we should be saying, come and meet the one who told me everything I ever did. Come and meet the one who loves me so deeply. As I said earlier, just had a, a hip replaced. And um, my first date for the operation was cancelled. And I'd gone into the hospital, and it felt like everything was right. And we'd moved to Tadley, we'd moved house, and that was all of a bit of a rush. And then um, wanting to get in and unpacked before I had the operation, and the date of the operation came in, it all fitted so well. It really felt like, you know, all our ducks were all in a line, and we're like, yes, this is going to happen. Go into hospital, and we're sitting there in the waiting room, and there were four of us. There were three beds. I got sent home, but not till the end of the day, and they tried, and they tried, and they tried to get me in. And I was still sitting there thinking, I know this is going to be a miracle. I know it because it just felt so right. And so the shock of being told, actually, it's not going to go ahead today. And there had been a previous, there had been another lady who had had the operation cancelled the day before, and then had been recalled in the next day. So I thought, well, it's probably not going to be too bad. Probably you're going to get maybe next week at the latest, get back in and, and have this done. Um, the biggest knock came when I had the phone call a couple of days later and they said to me, you need to wait a month. Oh, I was devastated, <laughs> absolutely devastated. I just couldn't believe it and I'd been living with such pain and just thinking, you know, people had been messaging me saying on that day of going in, how are you feeling? And I'm like, yes, today is the first day of my recovery. And then people were messaging saying, how's it gone? And I'm like, I'm back home. And then it was like, when are you going in? Not until next month. And I just was so devastated. And I took the phone call and um, took myself off for a walk. I think Pete was in a meeting at the time, and I just sort of went upstairs and said, I'm going into the woods. And, uh, and off I went, and I just sat on a bench, and I just sobbed and sobbed. You know, and I had a choice, because there I was, face to face, again, with disappointment. 
And I thought, what am I going to do? There's no point denying I'm disappointed, because I was. There's no, no point pretending I don't feel like this and putting on a brave face, because I did feel like that. So I opened the door, metaphorically speaking, and I let disappointment in. And I sat with disappointment for a while. And I had a chat with disappointment. And I said, I know you're there. And I know you're real. And I am disappointed. But you're not staying. And it's time you left now. I've acknowledged you. I recognized you but you need to leave. And so I shut the door. And I opened the door to Jesus and said, look, Jesus, I'm not gonna journey with disappointment. I've done that and I'm not gonna journey there. You've taken me on this journey of restoration and I need to put that into practice. I need to live in the reality of being a restored Marian. Um, so I allowed that feeling of disappointment and sadness to lead me into the presence of Jesus and to lead me into worship. I just want to read a little bit that I put in my journal. I'm one of these people who likes to, to journal things. And I was just sitting there with Jesus, and I said, Jesus, I ask you, what do you want to say? What do you want to highlight to me? Is there a particular verse? And I just sat and waited. And what came through to me was an invitation to come to his table, to sit and commune with him. And so I've taken up this invitation and each evening, I will sit with Jesus, and I will have bread and wine with Jesus. And so that's what Pete and I did. So for that whole month then, every night, when we had our meal, we would have bread and wine together, and we would just sit with Jesus. And just pray together. And just commune with Jesus. At his table, I put myself in the place of restoration again, a place at his table, which was even in the presence of my enemies, this table that was in the presence of disappointment and pain. And in the midst of my storm, Jesus had prepared a table for me to sit and commune with him. The king wanted me to be fully present with him and to be filled afresh with his presence. At one of the prayer, prayer meetings that we have on a Monday morning, around that time, Margie Duncan had came and prayed with me and she said, I believe that God is saying he wants to realign you. And when she said that, I thought, God, you're not just talking about realigning my hip. You want to realign my thinking. You're wanting me to step out of the shadows and out of hiding and to be fully present with you, to be fully alive and filled with your presence. You know, that realignment 
wasn't just physical, it was spiritual. And you know, restoration, it causes us to realign our thinking. And restoration, it moves us forward. From my physical place of having to rest and be restored after having my hip done, I had to unlearn physical habits that I had of how I walked before having my hip replaced. I had to unlearn that, and then I had to learn how to walk properly again. I had to break from old habits and patterns of thinking. You know, when we're restored, we have to do that. We have to take that break from how we used to do things. I used to say to disappointment, yeah, I'll hang out with you. I used to say, well, maybe God has given up on me. I used to say, well, what's the point in hoping for more? Because I'll only be disappointed. I had to realign my thinking. Because as a restored people, we need to believe the truth that God has the best for us. And God loves us so deeply. He never gives up on us, ever. And we might feel like we've been forgotten at times, but he never, ever forgets us. We go from that place of rest and healing to walking and watching and working with Jesus, taking on his way of doing things. And in calling us into Tadley, um, I won't go into it all now, it's a, it's a different story for another time, but just seeing how God has opened up things for us and what he's given us, where we live, what we're doing, who we work with, has gone far, far beyond what we had dreamed or imagined. Because that's what he does. When you say yes, whatever it's going to look like, he surprises you. This is what we've learned. He loves to surprise us because he's the God who restores. He's the God who makes new. He can't help it. That's who he is. We find our place of restoration and then we play our part, just like the Samaritan woman, just like Peter, just like Paul and all the others. Telling people what God has done in our lives. I just want to finish by asking you, do you hear his invitation? to sit at his table? Have you been imagining in your heads those places where he wants to meet with you in your everyday to restore you, to make you new, to reignite your hopes, to breathe life into your dreams? 
to show you those areas in your life where you're just feeling weary and worn out. That he wants to say to you, come to me, because I'm going to give you rest. Come and take my yoke upon you. I'm not going to burden you with something that doesn't fit you. It's going to fit perfectly because it's designed just for you. Maybe he's showing you areas in your life where you're thinking the way you need to realign. You need to say, Lord, I just want to repent of how I've been thinking. It's wrong. And I can see that now. It's not the truth. Would you come and realign my thinking to make me more like you and restore me into place of truth? Or maybe you're sitting there and you think, Do you know, I don't know that I've ever met this Jesus. I don't know that I know the one who wants to restore me. And maybe now is your time to meet him. Maybe to be like that Samaritan lady going to the well and meeting him for the first time. Meeting the Messiah, meeting the one who wants to restore and redeem. You can meet Jesus this evening. I just would, would love just to, to pray for us. And if any of those things, you just feel like, yes, I need to respond to that. And I would love to have someone pray. Then I understand that there's a, a ministry team. There will be people who, who will pray with you. I will pray with you. Pete, I know, would, would love to pray as well. Um, Gary, are you going to tinker away? Great. So I'm just going to pray for us. Um, but let's meet the one who loves to restore. Jesus. Jesus, you are the one who is so beautiful. You are the one who is so faithful. You are the one who restores. You never give up on us. Would you come now, Holy Spirit? Would you come and just draw alongside people? Would you lead them to that place of restoration? Would you bring them into a place of new hope, of realignment? I thank you that you work in our lives. I thank you that you long to bring us into that place of father-child intimacy. I love that you say to us, come and watch me. Come and walk with me. And learn from me. And out of a place of rest, and out of a place of peace, out of a place of being healed and restored, we're going to go and do things together. We're going to work together. 
Jesus, I know that you are the one who restores. Would you come now? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And set us free.